Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Children, you can be dismissed to uh, children's class if you'd like. You can just follow uh, Sarah there in the back. And Mike, it's, uh, we've been praying for your dad and glad that he's home now out of the hospital. And we missed you all last week. Uh, and you all were in the right place ministering to your family with that. But uh, if you just, if your kids want to go, if they want to stay, that's fine too. There'll be uh, no distractions. It'll be, uh, it won't be a distraction to me. Psalm chapter number 23. Psalm 23. We started a uh, series a few weeks ago on the Good Shepherd. And uh, this is our fourth message within this chapter. And we're going to actually be concluding this after Easter uh, because next week we're going to look at uh, a just a Palm Sunday uh, text and uh, then we will conclude with it at the end on the week after Easter. But Psalm 23, and I'm thankful for how uh, the Lord has uh, been using uh, this, uh, this series. My aim, I want to remind you of my aim. There's two aims with this series, with a very familiar text uh, even people that are outside of Christianity are very, very familiar with Psalm 23. It's uh, read often at uh, memorial services, whether that be a memorial service for a believer or not. Often Psalm 23 uh, is referenced. But my, I have two aims, and my first aim is to encourage. Uh, there, uh, these are days in which many of us, we can feel jaded, tired, flat, which is kind of what's going on in our world. It's easy to get discouraged. And as we look into this psalm, it's so beautiful because God has used it to encourage his people for more than 3,000 years. And, and so allow it to be a source of encouragement for you this morning. And the reason that this psalm is so deeply loved is that every verse lays out a blessing that belongs to the individual that is a part of the flock that's part of the family of God that these are these are blessings these are promises to those that are wholly owned by the son of God the lord is my shepherd is how it starts he leads me into paths of righteousness he helps me to the place he leads me to the place where i can lay down and i can find rest for my soul. He, he restores me when I begin to, to, to wander off, when I'm beginning to falter. He, uh, he brings me back. He picks me up, the beautiful truths that we've learned so far. And so this first aim of the series is to encourage you. And if you are a believer here this morning and those that will be watching online, my, my prayer is for that you will find peace, strength, and joy in knowing that you belong to Christ. And knowing that you have been either bought, bought and birthed, we've been bought with a price, and then we've been born again, birthed into this wonderful flock, and you belong to Christ. But I have a second aim for this series, and that is to entice. If you've not yet surrendered your life to God, or to the Good Shepherd, if you cannot say, I have been bought and I have been born into the flock of God, I want to entice you to make that decision, to come to the realization that that is your greatest need. My prayer for you is that it means that it would lead you into this rest, that it would lead you into the righteousness that this text talks about. To be brought back when you wander to be picked up when you falter, for you to be able to say, I want these truths to be true in my life also. 
And it can be if you don't know the Lord. These truths can be your reality. They belong, however, to the flock of God. These, these truths of, of, of being led, of being led to, uh, to rest, being led to the right paths, being, being brought back when you wander, to be propped up when you begin to falter, those belong to the shepherd. Those are gifts that are given to you by the shepherd. And my prayer is that if you do not know the Lord, that this would entice you, that you would want what I'm actually going to preach this morning from this text. And so we're going to look at this morning of how the good shepherd, he guards us. What a beautiful, beautiful truth to those that know Christ. So today we, we come to something that should encourage all who believe, to entice all those that maybe have yet to believe. The good shepherd leads you, he restores you, and he, excuse me, he also guards you. Look at verse number four of Psalm 23. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy, thy, thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, if you thought about the image of this fluffy sheep lying down in a green meadow with waters that are kind of just slowly running by, there's this kind of, this, this just quaint, just kind of serenity when it comes to this um, chapter. I'm glad that you're here this morning because we're going to look at a fresh look once again of Psalm 23. See, the, Psalm 23 speaks into the harshest realities of life. It's not always easy to find rest. So that's why I need the shepherd to create an atmosphere for me that makes me lie down. My heart wanders. My faith falters as we looked at last week. And that is why I need the shepherd to restore my soul. And today we're looking at the harshest realities of all. One day I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And here is the, here's the reality that is for all of us. We all must face this. None of us can avoid. Listen, if you are not a believer, you may say, you know, I choose to, to live my own life in my own way. But whatever path you choose in life, listen, it is ultimately going to end with the valley of death. Now, David, as he's writing this uh, psalm under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he clearly has um, like, like canyons and paths in, in his mind. They're literally, if you were to go to Israel, by the way, we're going to be hosting a trip at the end of November. And I want to give you all more details about that next week. And if you want to participate in that, it's going to be awesome. We had it uh, originally for April 20th, 2020. And of course, we know what happened there. COVID nixed that. And so now we've got it up and running again. And we're going to go at the end of November after Thanksgiving. But if you were to go there, you, you would find that there are actually valleys that, that come down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet in elevation, and then you come all the way down to kind of uh, the Dead Sea area, and it's obviously below um, below the, the um, feet, but zero, below the feet. Thank you. I'm getting um, tongue-tied here. But there's valleys that are all throughout um, Jerusalem there that they would often nickname as the Valley of 
kind of the shadow of death. And depending on where the sun was would depend on where the shadow would be cast onto the sides of the mountain because these canyons would be considered death canyons if there were two shepherds leading their sheep and then they met. They would get terrified, they would end up trampling themselves, and ultimately many of them would end up dying. And so there was these unwritten rules that in the morning you would travel one way, and in the evening or the afternoon time frame you would travel the other, depending upon where the shadow was on the valleys. And so clearly David has this, this shepherd, which he was, this mentality as he's writing this, but the bigger picture, of course, would be the ultimate death for each and every one of us. And so it's not something that we can avoid. Whether we are a believer or a non-believer, we are headed toward this place that we would call death. There's no avoiding this. Sooner or later, all paths lead to the valley of the shadow of death. And so I want to start this morning with the concept of the valley. The valley. Let's look at verse number four again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice that David speaks about the valley of the shadow. The shadow of death. See, death casts a shadow. But David is actually describing what leads up to the death. The prospect of death. What comes before it? Well, the dawning realization that we are going to go into this valley and that there is no way that we can avoid it. Often you'll hear people say this. It's not only, it's not only Christians. I, death does not scare me. It's the process of dying. So I know that I'm going to go there. It's just I don't know how I'm going to get there. That's more so often a Christian will be afraid of. But why, why should we be afraid of it? I mean, I want you to ponder this. If you belong to the flock of God, if, if, if you belong to the Lord, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are now, as John chapter 1 tells us, become one of the, the sons of God, if, if this is who you are, the moment of your death will be the most glorious experience that you've ever experienced in your life. Death will be the greatest experience of who you are. That moment that you take your last breath and now you see Jesus Christ. The twinkling of an eye, you're going to be taken away from your body and you're going to be at home with the Lord. This world with all of its pain, this world with its conflict, with all of the tears and the sorrows, all of that is going to now be behind us. At last, you're going to see face to face the one who has saved you, the one that you have by faith been looking to. As Hebrews 11 tells us, Hebrews 11, 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So if you're in Christ, death itself is going to be glorious for you. But getting there, that's another thing, right? The, the, the getting there part, your body declining, I don't, I don't like that. I hit 40 last year which means I'm hitting 41 this year. I, I don't like that. But man, it's the body declining? No, no, we don't like that, right? The world, our world contracting, getting smaller and smaller. Your control of what is happening around you begins to diminish. You get invited to a mud run, Miss Florendo, and it's like, no, man, my body can't handle that. 
the declining body, right? It's the leading up to. I, I think as Christians, we know that, man, our last breath is like, wow, we're in heaven. But it's the shadow of what today and that day is or when that day is that can be the problem. It's not the valley that frightens us. It's the shadow that kind of lies before it. It's what David is talking about here. Death is not the only valley that casts a shadow over us. Dying is the last valley. But there's a whole lot of other valleys that we walk through on the way. How about the dark valley of depression? The dark valley of maybe unemployment. I mean, COVID has really brought that about for many people. The dark valley of business failure. Maybe of a personal lawsuit. The dark valley of serious illness. Or the caring of someone who becomes increasingly dependent upon you. That becomes hard As a pastor, I get the privilege of entering into the lives of people and so desire that in your life as well, if if you'll allow me. And they're just struggling with health issues and, and or maybe they're caring for people that have that and it can get hard and it can get depressing. It can be dark at times. Every Christian knows what it is to walk through times of, of darkness. And when you find yourself in a dark valley, this psalm, this verse It's for you, but it's only for you if you are a believer. It's for you. The Bible tells us about a time in the life of Abraham when he experienced great darkness. It says when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you, as I speak this, you're like, yes, there's sometimes this darkness that just comes over my mind and and, and over my week or month. It falls on you. You feel desperately alone and you wonder in those times, has God deserted me? Has Has God left me alone? Can I rephrase maybe what David might have been writing here? When I walk through the valley of deep darkness, you're with me. When I walk through the valley of deep darkness, God, you're with me. There's a remarkable statement in Exodus chapter 20 where God has, he's, he's, giving the, he's giving the Ten Commandments. And when God came down to Mount Sinai, the whole mountain was literally covered in darkness. The scene was quite terrifying. Uh, the thundering, the lightning, the whole mountain was literally shaking with an earthquake. Uh, Moses literally is like, I tremble with fear because of this darkness. And then God speaks the Ten Commandments out there. You shall have no other gods before me. You'll make no graven images. Thou shalt not kill and so on and so forth. He's, he's, he's booming these Ten Commandments to them. And the people are so afraid that they, they come to Moses and they say, hey, Moses, Ah, we don't want that to happen again. We don't want to come in contact again like that with God. I want want you to be the one. You're going to be our mediator. You go talk to him. It says in verse number 19, Speak thou with us and we will hear him, but let not God speak with us lest we die. This darkness, this fear, this this presence of of God. It was like, no, 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 I, I don't want that. And so Moses, what does he do? He climbs up the mountain and We read these remarkable words in Exodus 20, verse 21. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness. 
where God was. So here's what I want you to get today, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to long for this. Let it entice you because this is held for, the, for the, those that belong to the shepherd. God is with you in the darkness as much as he is in the light. God is with you as much in the darkness as he is with you in the light. See, the Bible speaks of both God dwelling in darkness as well as God dwelling in the light. 1 Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Paul is saying here, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. So God dwells in the light, but he also dwells in the darkness. King Solomon said this, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness, 1 Kings 8.12 says. So God has made his presence known to his people in the desert by a thick, dark cloud, right? And then when Solomon's temple was dedicated, the cloud of God's presence came upon them and it came down. And so there's sometimes light, there's sometimes darkness, and he is with you in darkness and in the light. In Psalm 139, a a rather familiar Psalm of David, David asked this question, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from thy presence? David is not saying, hey, hey, God, where can, I, where can I get away from you? That's not what he's asking. He's not saying, hey, hey, God, can you, can you show me a place where I can hide from you? That's not what he's saying. What David is asking, he's saying, hey, is there anywhere that where I go, you're not also going to be there as well? This psalm is not a, a, a psalm of, uh, of him trying to run from God. It's a psalm of love and grace. And he's saying, is there anywhere, life or death, where you are not going to be with me? Now, he raises a few possibilities in the psalm. He says, if I ascend up to heaven, are you going to be there? And he finds out that, yes, he would be there. He says, if I descend down to hell, but the word there is, is sheol, there in the Hebrew, literally, it is the word for the, the place of the dead in the Old Testament. So he says, I'm not going to be without you even in death. He says, if I take wings in the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, in the land, in the mountains, in the valleys, you're going to be right there. Your strong hand is going to be there to hold me. I will not be without you anywhere in this world, in the air, on the land, or at the sea. Wherever I go, your presence will be with me and your strong hand is going to hold me up. And then David says this, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. God is with you in the darkness and in the light. I've said that multiple times. What's the takeaway from today? God is with you in the darkness and in the light. He's with you. When you find yourself in a time of great darkness, you might not be able to feel the presence of God 
Can I take you to Calvary? Can I take you to the six hours that Jesus Christ was on the cross, three of those being in utter darkness, where the sin of all mankind is being placed onto Jesus, and Jesus doesn't feel the presence of his Father. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when you're in the darkness, you might not always feel his presence. But was God there? Was the Father there at Calvary? Was he there? You bet he was. What was he doing? God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That's what God the Father was doing there. He was pouring out his full wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves you and because he loves me and he loves the entire world. He's trying to reconcile man to himself. But to the son... To Jesus, have you, have, have you forsaken me? So you're not always going to feel it. But God is with you in darkness as much as he is with you in the light. So that's the valley. The valley of the shadow of death. But I want to show you the shepherd. The shepherd in this. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through. I even like the word through. It's the concept of I'm going to make it through this. And so when you kind of think about it from David's perspective of you're going to walk through that valley, you're going to ultimately make it through. And then obviously application for the believer, we make it through death to our eternal home. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? He says, Because you're with me. Well, who's with me? Well, verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd. And then all of the blessings for the rest of the chapter are connected back to belonging to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine and I am his. I've been bought into the family. I've been been born into the family. And now I get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I don't have to fear anything because the shepherd is with me. He is my shepherd The way your experience goes when you enter the dark valley depends entirely on who is with you. I was so encouraged a few weeks ago about uh, someone in our church, they, they, they couldn't be here today, but of how God used that anti Psalm 23 that I shared in the first week versus what the real Psalm 23 says. And how kind of the anti-Psalm 23 is, man, I'm on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. And listen, apart from Christ, you are on your own. You are doing your own thing. And no wonder the valley of death would terrify you. But see, the shepherd, David, says, no, 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 I'm not alone. I don't have to fear this. Why? Because you are with me. The Lord who walks with you in the valley, don't miss this. The one who walks with you in the valley has already been through the valley himself. See, death cast a long shadow over the life of Jesus Christ. Mark tells us that literally the Son of Man came to be a ransom for many. Literally, on on, on multiple uh, occasions, um, Jesus would tell his disciples, I must suffer. I must go to the cross. I must die. Why? Because this valley of the shadow of death, this death was his was his job. It was literally before the foundation of the world. It's what God was sending him for. And so Jesus knows what it's like to go through this dark valley. 
Jesus could say to the Father, even though I have walked through this valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil, God, because, because you've been with me. Our Lord, he entered the shadow of death in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we prayed, Father, if it's possible, would you please let this cup pass from me? If it's possible, can you please let this cup? Jesus, can, you, can, can I just, in his humanity, can I put it this way? He recoiled at the thought of what laid ahead of him. God, if it's possible, I don't want to go this path. We're going to talk much more about this on our Good Friday service. I, I, I don't want to go on this path. So don't be surprised in your life, nor in my life, if I recoil a little bit with the darkness that's coming or with maybe, maybe, maybe some trial that's going. Jesus even literally did. But what did he finally say? Father, it's not my will, but thine be done. Ultimately, it's God. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience this. But ultimately, God, you're with me and I'm willing to go through it. The Bible speaks about death in two types of ways. I'm going to call them the first death and the second death. That's, those are biblical terms, the second death at least. The first death is the death as we know it, right? The physical death where the soul gets separated from the body. But the Bible speaks about the second death. And the second death is the judgment of God that's going to be poured out on mankind. And it's the, well, why don't we turn there? Turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Normally I just preach all at 11, but let's turn. Let's do it like a Bible study, okay? Revelation chapter 2. If I said 12, I am sorry. Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Verse number 11. Jesus Christ is writing unto the uh, seven churches of Asia Minor. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. Hmm, second death. Turn to chapter 20, Revelation 20. We'll get a little bit more clarity. Revelation 20. We doing okay? Hey, it's light in here, but even in darkness, who's with you? Lord. Verse number six. Revelation 20, verse number six. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Hallelujah. The second death has no power to those that have believed in the resurrection, right? Believed in Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we die apart from Christ we will spend an eternity in a place called hell. It's not a very popular word in 2020. What is it, two? <laughs> it's not a very popular word. This is the second death. Death and hell, they're cast into the lake of fire. To turn to chapter 21, verse number eight. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Burneth with fire and brimstone. It's a place called hell, which is the second death. And who gets to go there? 
Woe! The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, adult, and all liars. How many of you ever lied before? Yikes. We better know the shepherd then. Because the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he tasted both deaths. Jesus Christ experienced the first death and the second death at the same time. Wicked men nailed him to the cross and over six hours life drained from his body. And at the same time, God laid our sins on Jesus and he poured out the judgment that was due to us on him. And that is why the prospect of what we would endure was so horrendous to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was going to face a double death. His soul was going to be separated from his body. And at the same time, the judgment of sin that we read about here, that judgment of sin was going to be placed on Jesus. He was going to be a scapegoat. He was going to take the full wrath of God for us. And he's saying, if there's some other way, nevertheless, thy will be done. It's poured out on him. Jesus faith death as a as a um, as Jesus faced death. So before or since he has faced it, I'm sorry, I can't even read my own writing. Please forgive me. He endured the first and the second death at the same time. The death of Jesus has changed. Hear me, has changed death for all who belong to him. He's changed it. So when you enter into the first death, what lies before you is not the second death. What lies before you is the glories of heaven. It's the glories of everything that Jesus Christ secured for you. It's not the second death. That's why the Apostle Paul was able to say, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? He's saying there's nothing There's no power in that death anymore. There's no power in that grave because Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again from the dead. So Jesus faced death so we wouldn't have to face it. Christian believers will never taste the second death. Jesus endured for us. He drew the sting of what death is like. So your death when it comes will not be an entrance into judgment but into everlasting joy. But for the lost, for those that reject the good shepherd, for those that reject the price that Jesus Christ paid to bring reconciliation, oh, we're not only going to die once. That individual is going to die twice. And that second death we learn from the book of Revelation is being cast into separation from God into fire and brimstone, a place called hell. You say, Ryan, hell just doesn't jive with our culture today. They're being so, so figurative. My friends, hell is a real place. It's real. And Jesus Christ took the punishment for you so you don't have to experience it. That's why David could say, man, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You're with me in the darkness. You're also with me in the light. Death, it's still a dark valley. 
But compared to the double death that Jesus endured, what is left for us, it's just like a shadow. And you don't need to be scared of shadows. Matthew Henry says this, the shadow of a snake cannot bite you. The shadow of a sword cannot kill you. The shadow of death will not destroy you. Now death's going to separate you from your work. It's going to separate you from your loved ones and from your own body. But it can never separate you from the love of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8. And then notice what this shepherd, look, look what he uses at the end of, verse, at the end of chapter verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me, thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a club carried by the shepherd to fend off wild animals that might attack the sheep. The staff is the shepherd's crook that he uses to, to lift the little baby lambs up into his arms. So the rod and the staff, they speak of the strength and the love of the good shepherd. So however dark the valley may be, you do not need to fear because the Lord is with you. No power can snatch you from his hand, John 10 tells us. Nothing can separate you from his love, Romans 8 tells us. So I want you to think with me for a moment as, as I wrap it up. What do you think about the disciples? The disciples are on a boat. They're struggling to get across to the other side. Jesus says, hey, hey, I want you to, want you to go to the other side. I'm going to go up to a mountain and I'm, and I'm going to pray. And so they get out there onto the, boat, or onto the boat and onto the Sea of Galilee. It's super dark. It's like pitch black dark in the middle of the night. And they're just, they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing. There's a wind. It's just, nothing's, nothing's happening. Sea's raging. And in their struggle and in their darkness, a man begins to walk towards them on water. Oh, but it's not just any man. The disciples think it's a ghost, right? They're like terrified. Like, who walks on water? I mean, they've seen Jesus do so many other things, but in the moment of their terror, in the moment of their struggle, in the moment of they're just, they're oaring away, trying to get over, trying to get over, they're not thinking, oh yeah, this is Jesus. He's gone to a mountain to pray. If you read the text, when we were going verse by verse through Mark, I loved it. It's almost as if like, like Jesus was literally going to just keep passing on by. And yet, and, and yet they see him and it's like, man, who's that walking on the sea? Is this a ghost? Is this a, is this a spirit that's walking? And I love what Jesus says to them. Jesus says, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And so in your darkness, none of us are, n- none of us are dead yet. But there's that shadow of, of, of what it's going to look like going forward. We're going to die at some point. Hopefully it's only a single death. If you know Christ, that's true. But if you don't know Christ, there's going to be a second death and that's going to be hell. But there's that shadow before that. There's, that, there's this valley of, ah, I don't know what's going to go on it. And you know what Jesus says to you this morning? He says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've walked this path with you. I know what it's like to be tempted at all points like as we are, Hebrews tells us. 
yet without sin. So he knows what it's like to live in this fallen world. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to cut himself. He knows what it's like to have the hardships of life brought down on him. And he was marching to his death. And he says, hey, in your darkness, in your shadow, in your struggle, don't be afraid. It's me. Come on out. Walk on the water. Can you imagine being Peter? Man, before we beat Peter up for sinking, he walked on water first. That's cool. And he takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the storm around him, the text tells us, and he just sinks down. And then, of course, you've got the great rescuer there, kind of that, that rod and staff to rescue you. Don't be afraid. Here's what happens for a believer at the moment of death. Jesus comes to take you home. What a beautiful, beautiful story this psalm is of real life. I mean, David is, he's talking about real life. There's other times where David is hiding in caves and valleys from people that wanted to kill him. So he, he knows what it's like, the harsh realities of his everyday life. It's not some cushy story. It's to meet you where you're at. And as you're going through that darkness, that shadow of, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to my family, my grandkids, in a world that is, is crazy right now. I don't even want my kids, you know what I mean? It's like, grandkids? But God is there saying, I'll take you home. I'll take you home. Fanny Crosby, she was a great songwriter of yesteryear, and she was a blind woman. And she wrote these words, all the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed with immortal, wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Think about if you were blind. Do you have to be a little bit more trusting when you're blind? You do. I've read Fanny's biography and even her, her autobiography. She views her blindness as a gift from God because it made her more reliant. Listen to it again. All the way my Savior leads me. Sound like Psalm 23? Oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. Not only do we get it above, but we learn in this psalm that God even creates atmospheres in our life here in this broken and fallen world for us to rest. What a grace. What a grace. When my spirit clothed with immortal wings its flights to realms of day. I mean, Fanny probably didn't get to do a lot in her life being blind. And she's just envisioning, man, someday I'm going to fly out of this place. Why? Because Jesus led me all the way. He guards you. That's our promise today. He guards you. And where does he guard you? Ah, not only in the light where you can see him. He guards you in the darkness when sometimes you don't even feel like he's there. Christian, let that encourage you today. 
in your heart, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, long for that and receive the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Shed his blood so that you could experience the realities of being a born and purchased part of God's family. Accept that and instantaneously Psalm 23 can become your psalm. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you right now to just reflect and think about